all his life, plain and simple. You know, ask any baller. If, if you know, you know. The game has changed, but it's still the same. If you want it, go get it. Shazam! The inbounds pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line, the shot on Elo. Mike, you're honestly telling me that you're top five. Yeah. Top five of all time. No question about it. Booker, this is for the win. Got it. Wow. The ruling on the floor is made basket. You know, one thing's for sure. Over at Valley Sports Plug, you're never going to catch us slipping. First overall pick, the Phoenix Suns select. Three, two, one, yeah! Welcome to Pass the Outlet, Episode 9. I'm your co-host, Michael Benjamin, joined as always by my wingman, Chris Patrick. Chris, how are you doing tonight, man? Doing good, man. Feeling good. Got to do some hooping yesterday. Get to talk some hoops today, so... Really just living the dream. Yes, sir. Big cats are 2-0. and oh. Got some good momentum on the floor. But we got a jam-packed one for you today. We're talking NBA trends after the trade deadline. Kevin Durant, his start with the Phoenix Suns and the incorporation we're already seeing. March Madness and a whole bunch more. But Chris, I want to start right off the bat what we've seen in the NBA. We're about a month since the trade deadline and about a week and a half since the All-Star break. And I want to pass it right over to you first. Who are some teams that you're keeping an eye on going down the stretch who might be able to make some noise on this playoff run? Yeah, man, this is a topic I've been itching to talk about because I was talking with VSP Tallman just about how there's really some teams that have exposed themselves as not really being true contenders. And I think that's what this stretch of the season is, is largely about is seeing who's who are the real contenders versus who are the pretenders, if you will. So I kind of uh, today in, in show prep made a quick list of some risers and fallers, if you will, some teams that are trending up and then others that might be trending down. So just right off the top, it's funny, right before we launched, I was talking about how I had the Knicks as one of my teams that are trending upwards. Still probably the case, but they lost to the Hornets tonight. Like Hornets aren't even close to being in contention to make the playoffs. Obviously, with the Lamella Ball injury, that's tough. Um, so you kind of understand it there. But also, they're a younger team. But the Knicks, man, they got—they're still looking good. They got Jalen Brunson, Julian Randall's having a career season. Tibbs is a good coach, so they're going to figure it out. And I think um, you know, be competitive in the playoffs. But really, in the East, it's going to come down to two teams for me, and that's the Celtics and the Bucks. The Celtics—they uh, Tatum's been out of the lineup, and and it's shown that they're struggling with that. Uh, they've lost a couple couple of games here recently. The Bucks, however, just crazy, man. They didn't lose the entire month of February. I, I think they even won 16 straight, I think I saw, including one against the Suns, which probably could have used KD in that game. But that's my other team that's trending up. Obviously, you can call me a homer, but the Phoenix Suns, man. You, you add a guy like Kevin Durant and give up – I mean – we gave up Mikel Bridges. I don't want to minimize that. And Cam Johnson saw him in the intro there, kind of shed a tear, missing him. Uh, we were at that game where he where he went off and had that game winner. Just wishing those two guys the best. But it's funny, the Nets even are uh, technically a playoff team, but 
I don't know about them either. I mean, the Nets had that big win against the Bucks, and they're keeping momentum. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Mikhail Bridges as an all-star next year, especially if he's going to be a focal point in the offense. But, yeah, in regards to my list, kind of the same thing. I mean, I had the Knicks. They were on a nine-game winning streak until their loss tonight against the Hornets. Sometimes it just happens. You have an off. You said Julius Randle didn't shoot very well tonight as well. So got to take those lumps. But I've really liked what Jalen Brunson has come in and, and, you know, really set the pace for the Knicks and put them back to the forefront in the East. I mean, if you're looking at the NBA rankings as a whole right now, they got Bucks number one, Nuggets two, Celtics, 76ers, and Knicks. So four of the top five they're saying is coming from the East. Six is actually the Cleveland Cavaliers, and then the Suns have moved up into the seventh spot. So still got a lot of maneuvering to do with that. But, you know, Cleveland was having that pressure from the nine-game winning streak from the Knicks. I, I'm wondering how it's going to go in the playoffs, if they're going to really be heavy-handed with Donovan Mitchell and rely on his scoring. How does Darius Garland kind of fit into that mix? And what do you do with Jarrett Allen? I mean, I have him on my fantasy team. I think I was cursing to you last night chris he had four points yeah. and six to sit or six rebounds and he had been a solid contributor this entire season but you know unfortunately the likes of milwaukee second ranked defense they got jay crowder who had some big threes in that stunt in that suns game uh, some other teams you know the kings they're still surprising us man they're keeping pace they've actually scored over 127 in three games since the break. They just keep putting the ball in the bucket, uh, and De'Aaron Fox is having a stellar season. He was an all-star for a reason. Uh, unfortunately, the Warriors are moving up once again. Golden State getting Steph Curry back. Yeah, I, I just wonder how their health is going to hold up down the stretch as well. Them putting Jordan Poole into that sixth-man spot I think is good for them because they'll get that scoring punch that they need, but uh, DiVincenzo has been stepping up for them and keeping pace, and they're right on the Suns' heels right now. And then some teams that we're looking kind of going down, the Clippers, obviously the Mavs, they've just been even with Kyrie Irving still trying to find their footing. And then, of course, the big news with John Morant and the Grizzlies with all of the off-the-court incidents, trying to get his head right has taken some time away from the team, and we'll see what kind of effect that has on the Grizzlies down the stretch. But Chris, did you have any of those teams that you were talking about that might be listed as fake contenders? I think you said. Yeah. Yeah. The people who are kind of the pretenders or the teams rather. Um, it's funny. You mentioned the Cavs there. That's a team I've really been thinking about. I mean, without Donovan Mitchell period, they're kind of toast, but even with Donovan Mitchell, if he's not playing well, they really, really lean on him heavily. And I just don't, I don't know if he's going to have enough gas in the tank to carry that team all the way through a playoff run. Uh, it's funny. You also mentioned the Clippers. They lost five straight once they added Russell Westbrook, including that crazy 175 to 176 overtime game against Sacramento. Talk about Wild. getting buckets, man. I've never seen anything <laughs> like that. Like I had to like double take when I got the notification to my phone. Like, is that a real score? Who's playing 2K on rookie? Like, absolutely wild. But yeah, the Grizzlies, man, it's going to be interesting to see like what's going to happen with John Morant uh, without going too much into that. I, I just saw today that according to the CBA, he could be facing up to a 50 game suspension, which 
I would imagine you immediately. Did you see that? 50 games? 50 games? That's insane, man. Yeah. Especially for a guy who was becoming a face of the league. Ooh, if he were to face that and they really put it on him, oh, that is not good for his branding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, and it's going to – and speaking of branding, he just had just signed a deal – not to derail the conversation, but he had just signed a deal with Powerade. Um, I think you were mentioning that he is going to be the new face of them now that they're relaunching, rebranding, whatever you want to call it. And also his shoe deal with Nike is a lot of, I think a lot of question marks for these teams are going to be, or these brands rather kind of going to be watching, but definitely going to keep an eye on that. I wonder if it's a situation because I think the, the, the way it was written in the CBA is that um, it's, if you bring a firearm on a team plane or into a team facility. So I was kind of talking to Ian today and he's, he thinks they might have a hard time proving that he brought it on the plane. Um, but it might be enough proof to say, well, how'd it get from Memphis to Colorado? Uh, right. who, who knows? But there's a number of excuses. But not getting too derailed. The Lakers are another team. I, the last team I wanted to mention is as some fallers and some some pretenders. I mean, Mr. Glass, Anthony Davis, I'll always be critical of him. And it's funny because he's been the one guy that's kind of healthy. And now LeBron has that foot injury. And they, they did get D'Angelo Russell, but he's even gotten banged up since arriving in L.A. or arriving back in L.A., I guess you could say. So I just think, like, like you said, there are those teams in the East and then pretty much the Suns, the Nuggets in the West, I think, are the real ones. It's it's funny. I almost forgot. I had to look it up today that the Warriors are the defending champions. It's it's crazy how, how much can change in a year. I mean, the Warriors went from one of the worst teams in the NBA after Kevin Durant left and found themselves to be champions again. I mean, when you have that DNA, you find a way. And Steph Curry is an all-time great. Klay Thompson, one of the best shooters, if not top three of all time. And unfortunately, we have to say it, Draymond Green, he plays his role and helps them you know, catapult to the top. So they're always somebody who you still got to keep your eye on, especially, they're like you said, they're the current NBA champions, so you can really never count them out. But you know, like going back to what you said with the Lakers, D'Angelo Russell has missed about four games straight with the ankle injury. LeBron James has had his situation with his foot. Health is just going to be such a big deal for most of these teams down the stretch. That's not breaking news for anybody. I know that, but it can go exactly into what the Phoenix Suns need to do if they want to make a title push. And I think I'm ready to make that transition right now, Chris into Kevin Durant. We've seen him start with the Phoenix Suns and come out firing and hot 3-0 in his first three games. We'll have our breakdown coming tomorrow of the past five games, so make sure you keep an eye out on that. But these Suns, man, they're rolling, and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are to blame if you want to be looking at it as a negative if you're any other teams in the NBA. But I want to pass this question over to you first, Chris. We had conversations about what bringing Kevin Durant in would look like in regards to a transition of this lineup, not only for our starters, but who comes off the bench. And I want to ask you, how do you feel about the transition to start so far? I think it's been great, man. He's just coming in and it's almost 
crazy seeing how smart of a basketball player he is because he could easily take over a game do i'm not not saying this in a critical way but devin booker has a tendency to kind of take some crazy shots and force and press the issue where i feel like i haven't seen kevin durant do that and honestly he's a lot better of a passer than i expected he'll he'll draw the double and then look for a quick little dump off either to da or whoever's cutting so i think it's been great man honestly he's he's already one of the fellas it's almost hard in my mind to imagine that it's only been three games because he just integrated so well. I mean, we were together watching their, the game against the Mavericks on Sunday and just crazy performance in that game alone. He had, he was 12 of 17 field goal with 37 points. I think him and Booker each had 35 plus. So if that's what we have to look forward to and to, to be able to continue to see from them, the sky is the limit. And, like we were just saying there, health is going to be a huge factor and having all these weapons is a really good sign because if one guy goes down, you still have two, three other options that you can go to. Right. And I do want to touch on your criticisms, I guess you could say, of Devin Booker. He has been known to you know, force the issue a little bit more. But one thing that we're already seeing is the one-on-one matchups that he's starting to get. They're not forcing the double heavy at him anymore because you just can't you got too many weapons on the outside but like we said i don't think that was really ever a question of how kevin durant was going to fit in he's a all-time great those guys just figure it out right away it was going to come down to how these other pieces around him really figure it out i think the biggest two obviously are chris paul and deandre ayton and we've seen kind of both sides of the spectrum you know Chris Paul has already taken the step back, becoming almost the fourth option, it seems like. But he's going to have to continue to hit those open shots when he gets them because he's going to have so many just open, open looks. It's going to be crazy down the stretch. You can't believe it. I mean, we saw it in that Mavs game exactly. Like Josh Okogie didn't shoot very well, mm-hmm. but a lot of those open, a lot of those corner threes were just wide open. He just couldn't cash them out. And we saw down the stretch, Ish Wainwright was able to with the same similar looks because those defenses just have to compound on the inside when those guys drive. And Kevin Durant's such a smart player in regards to understanding where to get to his spots, not really forcing the issue and understanding the length that he has as a player who can handle the basketball. He can shoot basically over anybody. So all he needs is a little bit of space and it's cash money, baby. Mm-hmm. But I do also like the way that he's incorporating himself, not just as a leader, but as a part of the team, right? You can see he's really kind of got a cool relationship with Jock Landell. They're kind of buddy-buddy already. He's starting to trust him in the paint when he's in those second unit with him. And he was giving mad props to Ish Wainwright on the floor. Those always are the things that get me juiced watching as a fan after a guy hits a big shot and then you get that you know, appreciation and love from one of the best players on your team. You know, those guys feed off of those kind of things. And those are the guys that the Suns are going to need down the stretch to continue to hit those kind of shots. Because like we were saying in the recap, Chris, I don't know if the Suns win that game if Ish Wainwright doesn't have those four threes because they were crucial down the stretch. And that one with two minutes really changed the outlook of that game. Yeah, no, and that's a great point is – 
Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are going to take away or take most of the focus to where guys like Josh Akogi, like Ish Wainwright, like Torrey Craig are going to have to be able to knock down those open shots. And I think a really promising sign for me is watching Monty Williams be flexible. Uh, we do. I think, again, we're going to you, if you check out the recap tomorrow, you'll see. I think we mentioned that is that was a big criticism of ours where he kind of stuck to his guys having Abdul Nader out there in the playoffs after not playing a lick the last 20 games of the season or whatever. And just being like, I trust him. I trust him. Well, trust only goes so far, Monty, if they're not getting the job done. So it seems like he's kind of woken up to that. And Josh Akogi, 0 of 8 from three pointer. You're on the bench, buddy. And Ish Wainwright hitting four or five in that game. Absolutely huge. Um you know, with Kevin Durant on the court making an impact, like you're mentioning, he's talking to guys, to talking to Jock, and it's almost it seems like off, after almost every play or any dead ball, he's he's talking to someone, he's pulling them aside, they're game planning, and I love that communication. It's like we talk about Chris Paul almost kind of being like a player coach out there on the floor, and Kevin Durant is at that point in his career with his basketball IQ where he's the same way. So now having two of those guys, and to men, I want to say mentor Devin Booker, but dude's in like his eighth season, like he's almost a vet now too. So we're not this young upstart team anymore that we were considered where it's like, oh, Chris Paul and his babies. Now it's like, no, these are these are guys that can get the job done. So, yeah, it was fun setting uh, records for the most wins in franchise history and making the finals. But honestly, I think this team, this Suns team is better than any team we've had in the last 10, 15 years. You got to be even going back to last year when you set a franchise records and wins. I think there's just more leadership, more experience, and guys are ready to go. And when you have two of the best players, I mean, obviously two of the top 10 players in the NBA on the floor at the same time, you're going to be set up for success. So I think it's easy to say that Kevin Durant has fit like a glove so far with the Suns. And man, I like how you bring up the point where it's like they can still teach books some things right oh yeah like you said he's only 26 years old but he's a three-time all-star like he's been through it now he's had multiple playoff runs now as well he's ready to take that next step but we love this team we're excited about what's going on but chris it can't be all sunshine and roses all the time right that's what part of being a person who watches basketball on a consistent basis is we just watch it so much. We can, we look to be critical of something. So I want to ask you if you had to nitpick the Suns right now and what you've been seeing since the start of Kevin Durant, even though we went three and zero. What are some possible concerns that you might be seeing with this team as we get towards the end of the season? Yeah, and I'm glad you asked because one thing that was glaring for me is kind of how the I think the defense has taken a little bit of a step back. And it's crazy because Kevin Durant is an extremely good defender. Uh, I don't know if we just got comfortable relying on uh, Mikhail Bridges to put people in Mikhail jail and, and lock people down, but the, it's got to improve. I mean, we were beating Chicago, like blowing them out of the water in the first quarter of the game we played against them. And then all of a sudden at halftime, we're down by four. And Chicago is not a team that we should be losing to. That's probably one of my biggest criticisms right now, for sure. I, I think, again, kind of going back to Josh Akogi, these guys need to knock down their open looks. Um, it, it's it's kind of tough. I mean, being wide open. I don't know if you saw. I think it was over the weekend. Uh, Draymond Green disrespectfully gave uh, Russell Westbrook like 20 feet of space at the three-point line, and he didn't shoot it. And it's not like Russ can't shoot three-pointers, but 
as much as I kind of dislike Draymond, he is also, again, a pretty smart guy. And he was saying in the post game, they're asking him about it. And he's like, there's just something psychological about being that wide open where you might tend to overthink it. You're not going to have a quick a trigger and that. And, you know, Mike, that second you hesitate where you you know might shuffle your feet or pump fake it a little bit that can throw off a rhythm. And so I think these guys are just going to have to get comfortable grabbing and shooting. Um, you mentioned Chris Paul, especially in the Mavericks game. I think he had three or four opportunities from the top of the key, just wide open three pointers with 10, 10 feet of space in either direction. So I think it's just going to be, uh, you know, these guys getting comfortable, you know, I think some of them might be even a little starstruck um, being on the same team as Kevin Durant um, or maybe not, maybe starstruck's not the right word, but, hesitant to to want to take away looks from him and Booker and I think that's I mean you asked me about my concerns but Booker honestly seems to be so empowered by having his big brother Kevin Durant out there now I mean just in the last three games he's averaging 36 points seven assists and five rebounds um really really excited to see what happens tomorrow in his home debut it's it's crazy that all three of his first games with the Suns so far have been on the road crazy right I mean, oh, dude, where am I going with this, Chris? You got to help what, me here. What, what do you, what do you, do you have criticisms that I like, or, or do you kind of agree with what I was, what I've been seeing in like right. defensive struggles? Right. I mean, I think that's my biggest takeaway. The offensive end, we're going to be able to figure out how to get DeAndre Ayton a little bit more involved. Chris Paul is going to be able to find his spots. Those guys are going to be able to hit their open shots in the wings. You just hope it's on a consistent basis, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think my biggest concerns have been kind of the, the wing defense. I know that Monty really sticks with kind of a switch uh, mentality in regards to kind of any action on the outside. And there's just been a couple of times where I think the lack of communication has been showing and guys have just been having a little bit too open of looks. But like you said, I think that just comes with time because it's not just Kevin Durant that's on the floor now. You know, our second unit is completely different now. You know, Terrence Ross yeah. is getting a lot more minutes. They're still throwing out TJ Warren here and there, but Ish Wainwright is starting to pick up the slack a little bit. And now Tory Craig is out of the starting lineup, so he's playing with different guys that he's, than he's been used to for the past, I'd say, two months, you know? So you got to get those games under your belt, but... I, I think that's just the biggest thing. I, and the other component with that is Terrence Ross and TJ Warren, we were excited about the scoring punch that they were going to bring in that second unit. But what we've seen so far is the staggering of the stars. There's never really a time frame where one of them is not on the floor. So you don't need that extra, I guess, main firepower from one of those guys. But what they don't give on offense is unfortunately lacking in defense. Terrence Ross looks like a mouse in the house. Sometimes they were attacking him against the Mavericks and it's no fault to his own. That's just smart coaching and smart basketball. If you have mismatches, you're supposed to attack it, but down the stretch, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Ish Wainwright keeps playing well, he could continue to see, 15 to 20 minutes a night just with his bigger body and his ability to play defense. And he's not a guy who needs to shoot very often. He'll hit down, he'll hit his shots. It's not going to be consistent like the Mavericks game. You know what I'm saying? But he just brings a different edge on the defensive end. And Josh Okogie's not going to go 0 for 8 all the time. 
but he's going to stay aggressive. And I've really liked the way that he's played the past month, but there's going to be some times where he needs to understand, Hey buddy, let's make sure that we get the ball to the big dogs. <laughs> you know what well, I'm saying? Well, right. Absolutely. And I think th for those guys, you mentioned Ish Wainwright, Akogi, Terrence Ross, these next 17 games this last month of the season is really going to be the trial period where Monty Williams can feel out this, what his rotation is going to be for the playoffs, because right. Ideally in the playoffs, you're going to want your stars playing big minutes and you're going to probably want to run a tight eight to 10 man rotation. And right now it seems like we got like a 12 or 13 man rotation. And Monty even said as much in a post game where they asked him why TJ hadn't been sniffing the court. And he's like, just got a lot of guys to play. I mean, campaign just came back. He wants, he wants to get minutes. Um, do we, do we even still have Landry Shamit? I don't know if I've seen him. So he had his injury issue and I guess it wasn't healing up. And so mm -hmm. when they were on the road, he came back to Phoenix to get it double checked. I haven't really seen much of an update yet, but that's another, that's another, you know, guy that I don't know if he's really completely a Monty guy, but how does he fit into the role or the floor if he can at all, at I all mean, right. honestly, at this point, I don't know, even when he gets back, what minutes are really there for him. I could see him maybe getting a little bit more because he does have a little bit more defensive prowess, but we will see, man. We will see. Yeah, it might, it might just for him specifically, I'll just say it might be a situation or it might be even smart to say, hey, take the rest of the season, get healthy and we'll reevaluate everything in the offseason. Because right now, these guys in the rotation, they're all getting comfortable together, and we need them to be cohesive and go wire to wire where they're playing good on both ends. Because uh, another point to make is, with the concerns about the defense, the offense has also been getting stagnant where we, we fall back into a lot of one-on-ones and the ball movement slows down. So bringing a guy back in and, and throwing that wrench into the mix might not be the smartest thing when you're when you're gearing up for a championship run. Oh, Chris, I'm just so excited, specifically for these next two weeks. We got some really cool matchups. We're playing the Thunder twice. We're playing the Kings. The Bucks are coming to town. And then we're playing the Warriors as well. So it'll be some good tests for this team. The schedule doesn't get any easier for the Suns. So if they want to make uh, you know, a splash and make sure that people are fearing them going into the playoffs, now's the time. But now is the time to change course and dive into what we're all here for, which is March Madness. I can't believe it. We're at that time. The craziness has already started. I believe the Pac-12 tournament starts on the 8th. UCLA won the Pac-12 conference outright. Unfortunately, ASU faltered, didn't get one of those wins against the California schools over the past week. So if they want to make a tournament push, they got to win this tournament. But Chris, before we kind of start diving into what we're seeing around the country and then obviously the NCAA tournament, I wanted to kind of pick your brain on what you're thinking about for the Pac-12 as a whole, who you might be looking at in the tournament to win that, and if there's any teams that might make a splash in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, you mentioned UCLA winning the conference outright. I think they have a really good shot at it, honestly. And, and what's going to be interesting is – I, I'm curious if they would rather be a number one seed in an Eastern bracket or be a two seed in the West behind Houston. I feel like they'd probably almost almost want to be Houston, um, you know, in Houston playing the second seed and have maybe a little bit of an easier path. But I'm not really worried about them. I mean, I was talking to Ben 
a little bit about UCLA and it's just the fact that they're an older team and they play really good defense. Defense is huge in any any level of basketball, but I feel like especially college basketball where the game has kind of shifted in, in my lifetime easily, where now a, a, the whole game is stretching, right? So if you have guys that can get out on shooters, that's going to that's going to play huge. Um I saw I saw that the the ASU is going to be up, up against Oregon State in the first round there tomorrow, so I'd love to see them in the tournament, but I really doubt it at this point. And even if they do make it, it's not going to be anything that that they get very far at. But the other Pac-12 team and Arizona team, Arizona, U of A, I think think they have a good shot, maybe not of winning it all, but of making some noise in this tournament. So definitely going to be keeping an eye out, rooting, you know, back to pack, as you will. I think that's a saying, right? Um but those teams are standing out to me for sure. Um, I think it kind of surprised me that Houston was the number one team in the country. Kind of might tell you how closely I'm keeping up with the college scene. But I, I was watching the, over the weekend some highlights of their power forward, Jairus Walker. As, he's a freshman, man, but he looks real good. He is a nice a nice game. He's a six foot nine forward, um, has a good post game, attacks the basket strong, but also has a good, nice touch on his shot. So if, he, if the players around him can – can you know keep pace and keep competitive houston could be a team to watch too it's it's the last thing i'll say is it's kind of crazy we always used to see these powerhouse teams duke and kentucky being the top dogs year in and year out now not so much the case i mean north carolina was in the championship last year and they might not even make the tournament so kind of crazy but yeah we're keeping an eye on the conference tournaments this week uh, a couple of different conferences like you said Houston seems to be the best team in the country and out of the AAC but Memphis was right on their tails and they had to win that game against Memphis this past weekend off of a buzzer beater that's one thing that I always do love about college I don't follow it as much as the NBA obviously but man it's truly competitive and we see so many heartbreaking game-winning shots (laughs) just all throughout the season especially now with march madness coming but oh so they're definitely the favorite in the acc like you said yeah the criticism there's been struggles there but duke is still the favorite even though they haven't had as much of a great year with mike shisevsky finally going off into the twilight Uh, as far as the big east we're seeing yukon as the favorite Big 10 looks like the picks are split between Purdue and Indiana. And like you said, Pac-12, top two are UCLA and Arizona, probably leaning towards UCLA specifically because they just won that matchup against Arizona this past week. But keep an eye out because we got Selection Sunday coming up on March 12th for the 68-team field. First four games are going to be March 14th and 15th in Dayton. And the first round will be March 16th and 17th. Before I dive into any more of, of what we're looking at here, Chris, how many brackets do you normally make a year? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. It's kind of waned in the past couple of years, I'll be honest. I don't know if that's just getting busy with life or what. But uh, typically, I try and do two, uh, two minimum, uh, sometimes three, as many as three three, four, five. I think my, I think my, the most I've ever done was probably six brackets. Uh, and I I'm, I'm old school, right? I like to print out the bracket and write it all in by hand. And then I put it on my refrigerator 
and as the tournaments go and I, I cross off and kind of and highlight so I can have a visual representation of just how horribly I predicted the bracket would would break down but the one thing that I don't like I know some people do but like the first four in or the the play in whatever it is it's just it screws up your whole bracket making process so I literally don't make my bracket until those games are decided because if you pick one team that's in the the play in and then they don't make it it can screw up everything and it's just like nah I'm not doing it but I I want to see I want to see uh what everyone else's bracket's going to be like so I think probably through Yahoo or one of these sites Valley Sports Plug is going to set up a bracket challenge and and you guys can see how you uh, match up against us I mean Mike you're going to do a bracket for sure right Oh 100% uh I I go back and forth every once in a while but Normally my brackets, how I kind of do my fantasy teams, it's one or two max. Like I can't do any more than that, or it just gets chaotic. Then I'm scratching off too many sides, trying to realize, oh no, this one's completely busted, but this one might have it. And then I'm rooting for the wrong teams that I might not really want, you know, just, just too much. That's why they call it March Madness. But yeah, make sure you guys stay tuned. We'll have that bracket challenge information coming up probably next week at the beginning after selection Sunday, make sure you get involved, see how you match up. Maybe there might be some prizes. I don't know, but you guys got to stay tuned for that. But want to dive a little bit more into what we're seeing here. Um, you know, first round, like we said, it's going to be March 16th and 17th. The final four this year is actually in Houston, Texas. I was going to wow. say Ben, Ben, man, maybe he needs to get on StubHub or SeatGeek, see if he might be able to, <laughs> grab a ticket and then head out to Houston. That'd be super cool, man. That, that's definitely something on my bucket list for one day. You know what I'm saying? Uh, as far as West Coast sites, um, there's only three. Looks like in Sacramento, Denver, and Las Vegas. Uh, I feel like it's been a while since it was in Arizona. I can't tell you when the last time it was, but that would be our opportunity to maybe go and check out one game. But yeah. But, yeah, like we said last year, uh, the champion was Kansas, won over North Carolina 72 to 69, erasing a 16 point lead. Crazy to think that North Carolina might not make the tournament after being in the championship last year. But also in the women's tournament, uh, South Carolina, they defeated UConn 64 to 49, which crazy to me was actually uh, they ended. UConn's undefeated streak in title games. So Gino Ariyama, if he got his squad to the title, you basically could mark it down. It was free money for you. But last year they lost. It was actually the most watched women's finale since 2004. So the game keeps growing and I love to see it. But of course, our favorite thing to know is what are the odds? Who am I putting money on, right? And I got the top five for you. I got Houston Cougars there favored right now at plus 650, followed by last year's champ Kansas at plus 800. Then you have the Alabama Crimson Tide at plus 900. Purdue plus 1,000. And a Pac-12 favorite UCLA at plus 1,300. Chris, is there anybody that you're putting money on so far? Uh, not yet. Not yet. I haven't quite pulled the trigger on it. I think if I had to, to put money down on a team to win it all, honestly might be UCLA for, for all those reasons I mentioned previously. I did though want to chime in real quick. I don't know if you saw this. It sounds like you might not have, but they did announce, I think it was last week that the national championship will be at state farm stadium next year in Glendale. Ooh, let's yeah. go. 
and I was trying to look it up. I think it was 2017, 2016. It was the final four was here, but yeah, I would, I would love to go to a national championship game. That would be absolutely insane. I mean, it's funny. We might have to, we might have to keep a, do a special edition uh, off season Tom and ticket uh, March madness edition. See what he's betting on. Dude. Imagine going to that game, uh, sitting in the upper level at state farm. Going to have to freaking pull up <laughs> double binoculars, dude. Holy smokes, man. Oh, Chris. Ah, I'm so excited for March madness to be here. I, I really don't have any investment in any teams unless I put money down. We'll find out. I'm still reeling from the Super Bowl, guys. So, <laughs> you know, I'm taking my time right now. But I, since the tournament's here, and I'm sure we're going to be talking about it the next couple of weeks as it's continuing to go on, Chris, I did want to pass it back over to you before we transition to Outlet Point Guard and just share some of your favorite memories from the NCAA tournament with the people. Yeah, I was feeling nostalgic today, uh, thinking back. You know, March is primetime basketball season. I love turning on the TV, having the games on my phone while I'm working, and just watching the most random teams play. I think it was uh, UMBC Golden Retrievers one year made it to the Sweet 16 when they had no business. The Cinderella stories always get me. Uh, I know one that stood out was uh, a couple years back uh, in 2018, Loyola Chicago made it all the way to the Final Four. Um, just so many great stories. Uh, Sister Jean, the nun uh, from their school, 98-year-old woman, going up to the players and giving them pointers, giving them props, and they listened. So you know Sister Jean knows what she's talking about. And I, I had to look it up. I was like, what is Sister Jean up to these days? She's still kicking. She's 103 years <laughs> old, still going to games. So I, I don't know if Lo- Loyola Chicago is going to be in the tournament this year, but I remember that specifically was a memory that stuck with me. And I know probably for a lot of people too, because even the betters, cause they were, you know, probably people winning a lot of money betting on them. I don't think anyone saw them in the final four, but the biggest, biggest final four, maybe not final four, March madness memory. I have one of the biggest ones is when in 2016 Villanova hit that insane buzzer beater. Me and Ian were at NYPD Pizza watching that game. And uh, it's crazy that I was looking back on that roster. It had Jalen Brunson, our boy Mikel Bridges, Dante DiVincenzo, and, and Archie Diacono. Um, it was insane. I didn't even realize. I, had, I, I was watching it back today that uh, it, I think it was UNC that were, they were playing against in that game. And they were down by three points with about 12 seconds left. They bring it down, and this guy hits the craziest double clutch three-pointer I've ever seen in my life. It seemed like he was floating in midair for like five seconds, knocks it down and they think they're going to overtime. They're freaking stoked. There's like five seconds left. And this is what kind of, I mean, we might see some similar things uh, when we go to outlet point guard, but they didn't pressure them at all. They were fully comfortable letting them bring the ball down court, which is just insane to me because the point guard, takes the contact. I don't know if they thought he was going to try and drive the lane, get a two, but the D kind of collapses on him. The guy who inbounded it, um, I forget, Chris something, ends up hitting the biggest three-point shot of his entire life. And so that that just stuck with me and absolutely insane. The, the stadium erupted. The stars were out. Michael Jordan couldn't believe it. Just absolutely insane. But I got to know, Mike, what about you? You got any uh, March Madness memories? You know, I have two specific ones. And it's crazy to think about it. Both of these guys have been in the league for a number of years now, probably going on a decade, if that, or if longer. 
Um, but the two that I always think about the most are uh, Butler's run in 2010, where Gordon Hayward had that half-court shot just barely miss it off the bank against Duke, and they lost that uh, national championship. And then I think my all-time favorite run of all time was was Kemba Walker and his run in 2011 with the UConn Huskies, where he legitimately put the team on his back, led them through the Big East tournament, had that incredible step-back jumper, and they just had all the momentum going into the tournament and ended up taking it. But those are the two that I think about the most. And it's crazy to think, man. I mean, Gordon Hayward's 10-plus years in the league. Unfortunately, I don't think Kemba's on a team right now, but he's another guy who was in the league for a decade. Chris, maybe we're getting old, man. Aye, aye, aye. Sounding like it. Sounding like it. But so all this, all this college basketball talk, you know, and we've been talking about the shot heard around Arizona for a couple of weeks now from ASU versus U of A. And I got to dissect the last 30 seconds with you, Chris, because ever since I saw it, it's just been on the top of my brain and you got to pull it up for us and run it through so we can break this thing down. Yeah, let's take a look here because watching this, it's just we we talked about it a little bit, so I won't, won't spoil it. But let's just play it once through real quick and and tell me what you're seeing here. Right. So Washington dribble hands off to DJ Horn right here. He tries to attack, gets it back out to him. And then right here, he gets the dump. Ooh, okay. And then it's just that's a tough kind of fading shot contested. And then Umar Balo gets the rebound. It's one-on-one. Or uh, no, they're in the bonus, so he gets two. He misses the first one. So you have a decision to make. And U of A decides to make the second one, but not put any pressure. Just like you were talking about in that 2016 National Championship for Villanova. And, I mean, Desmond Cambridge hits a freaking three-quarter court shot. Like, that's still, you know, luck. luck has to be on your side. But there's just a couple of things that had me a little bit irked in the way that this thing went down uh, for Arizona. And then in that last possession or second to last possession that ASU had, uh, I, I did have some thoughts on that as well. So we can break, uh, pull it back to the top, Chris, and I'll pass it over to you first so you can kind of break down what you're seeing from this ASU possession here. Yeah, so this, this possession, it, it seems that they're, they're very – and the college game kind of tends to look that way where it's a little bit frantic, a little all over the place. I like that pass there. And this is, it's, that's a tough shot. You got the, the guy coming across. Maybe, you know, so, some guys might be calling for an over the back call there, but that it's just, I think there were some other opportunities here where these guys on the bottom aren't really doing a whole lot. Um, number five is, is creating some good space, but he's just camping out in that lane. Surprised he didn't get a three second call. <laughs> Um, but obviously it's the, the ref's eyes are probably all on, on the ball right here. I, I, I honestly, you know, the watching this, the more I'm watching it, I don't necessarily have a problem with this shot right here. I think you got to take that. And the fact that he didn't hesitate to pull it is good, but just a tough break when you're down by just one point, you only need a two point bucket and you're taking a three point shot. I, I think they had just called a timeout prior to this. So it kind of, kind of makes me wonder if, why didn't Bobby Hurley drop something a little bit better or, you know, maybe prepare them, you know, for, for this opportunity. 
Yeah, Larson for U of A had made a driving layup to put Arizona up by one, 87 to 86. And they came down, took that timeout with about 20 seconds left to set up their action. And I like DJ Horn right there, number zero, trying to kind of attack. And maybe he gets a foul call because, you know, both teams are in the bonus at this point. You're so deep into the contest. It's just normal for college teams to be in the bonus plus with like two to three minutes left in the game. But I think the biggest thing is after he passed it to Warren Washington right there, let's pause it right there. After, after he gets that double, of, you know, when he passes it back out, gets the handoff and the double right there. Warren Washington is a seven footer. This is a 16, 14 to 16 foot push shot that all seven footers should be able to make. And the defender that switches over to him to put pressure right there doesn't seem to be uh, the same size. And I don't understand how he doesn't just handle this ball and level an attack right there. Just shoot that shot. I, I will live with that yeah. shot. And especially like you said, you're only down by one. I love that take. I love my seven-footer taking that little float push right there. But I think, you know, depending on guys' seniority or depending on moments, if, you know, not everybody has that dog in them, I guess, <laughs> for lack right. of a better term. You know what I'm saying? And one thing that you can keep rolling it as well, you know, DJ Horn, like you said, he doesn't hesitate. And in the college game, in, in the upper levels of basketball, you know, the openings that guys really have always start to shrink a little bit more. Maybe not so much in the NBA. I think the court is so much bigger. Guys create more space. But especially, specifically in college, it's so quick-paced and quick-twitch. If you have any kind of semblance of an opening, you better let it fly if you have confidence. So I just didn't like the way that he faded his body to the right. Which yeah. It just is kind of a tough push shot at that point. And you saw that it ended up going off to the right as well, but, Oh, okay, Chris. So well, after, if, if I can just jump in here, cause I noticed while we had this pause, I see number 10 down here, just absolutely wide open. And I know that is kind of a cross court pass. That's pretty tough, but zero, it looks like they're in some kind of zone here. He floats over to pick him up. And I totally agree with you. That's a shot that he should be putting off the glass or at least taking because five is there getting in position. And I think 10 doesn't stay up near the three point line because he probably thinks he's going to take that shot. So he goes in to try and look for the rebound. And then he's kind of surprised like, oh, what the heck? Why? Why didn't you shoot it? And just instantly turns his back to the basket and one track minded getting it back out to the to the guard here. Yeah, and it, did, it didn't look like uh, DJ Horn followed through with his kind of guide hand on that shot as well. That's why it was off. But so Umar Balo gets the rebound and he's fouled with 2.9 seconds left. Go back to the top, top of that one, Chris. So he misses it. I want to ask you, if you're a coach in this position, 2.9 seconds left, Arizona State doesn't have any timeouts. What are you telling your team, or what are you telling your team, and what are you telling Umar Balo, who's at the free throw line, to do with the second shot? I want to know what you think. What what are you, what are you, your guidance here? 
So I'll I'll finish up with what I what I would tell them to do at the line with that shot. But first, I would set up exactly like they are. They got two guys in the paint and two guys back on defense. Because the last thing you want is that shot coming off the rim, a pass getting chucked down the court, and them getting a two pointer. But even with two two point five left, that is a lot of space to cover in that amount of time. So. I would honestly tell tell him to miss this shot because what's what's going to be easier? You're only looking at two options here. They have to get a rebound and with no timeouts, try and score a bucket, or they're going to get an inbound to get set, do some off the ball screens, try and get a guy open and potentially have a half court shot to get the win, right? 1,000%. You, if you miss the first one, with 2.9 seconds left and Arizona State not having any timeouts, you miss the second shot. And you don't try and do a force like crazy shot where it ricochets off the uh, the basket. You just tell him to short arm it or let it fly high. So it comes off the basket and there's going to be pressure on the rebound. Maybe Arizona doesn't get the rebound, but by the time that ASU comes down with the ball, off of a rebound, there's maybe two seconds, right? You're mm-hmm. losing 0.9 right there. You're going to have instant pressure on top of him, if, especially if there's a rebound that's fought for. And then what's going to happen? He's going to try and throw a full court pass. Within that time frame, it's too little too late. You're not going to be able to tip in. You're not going to have an option for a shot. And there's just going to be – it would be too frantic. You never want to let guys set up for things like this. That's why it was crazy to me. I'd love to know what the coaching staff told those guys. I don't know if you've done right. any digging from the post-game conference and that kind of stuff. But uh-huh. now you can roll You can roll it forward. He makes the second one. And then, I mean, they, they had brought one guy back up. But then everybody flushes completely back past the three-point line. No pressure at all. And they let him get downward momentum going into that shot. And like we said, it's it's not a one in a million shot. When you're that wide open, you could probably make it one out of 40, one out of 50 times. You know what I'm saying? To not put pressure, to give them the momentum moving forward off of the inbound like that was just inexcusable as mm-hmm. a, a, a coaching staff. And then you see his assistant <laughs> is yelling at him. Hopefully saying the same kind of things, but what a shot, man. What what were no. you thinking about that kind of last possession there for ASU? Yeah, so I wanted to go back just real quick to this free throw. The only thought I can have, play, maybe playing devil's advocate as to why you would make that second shot is, one, the unlikely uh, excuse is that you're worried that they're going to chuck a full court pass and get a two-point bucket and beat you if you miss. Or two, so by making it, you're up by two. So if they do that, it's a tie game. You're going into overtime. Or you're worried about if they miss it. I noticed that U of A is also in the double bonus. So if there's a loose ball foul on U of A at that, on that last rebound, then ASU is going to the line to potentially win it. So I could see that. But honestly, like you should trust in your ability to, to – you know, box out, grab a rebound, or at the very least, you don't even have to be that aggressive to try and get the rebound. Let ASU get it. And like you said, they have two seconds left to make a pass and get a shot off. That's a hard ask. Um, no, no, so now we go forward. He, he misses the first. He makes the second, as we know. 
And this inbounds, yeah, what are they doing? Just everybody right away heading back. Not even any pressure on these two guys to be up on I him mean, at all. I don't know why Larson doesn't hedge towards him. Obviously, you don't want to foul. But to fall back like four strides off of him like that? Ridiculous. You're right. And and teams, like, I don't know how much at the college level, but I know teams practice those half-court shots, I mean, at least a little bit. And especially guys just messing around before and after games and, like, whatever in their free time. Guys are sh- taking those shots now. I mean, we see Logo Lillard all the time, and everyone wants to be like him and Steph Curry. So, yeah, it's it's not – Although it seems one in a million, it's really not. Like, that is a a makeable shot. I mean, there's even a video out there, probably not online, but you and I were one day just chucking up half-court shots for the fun of it, and we knocked down a couple. And it's just insane that you're going to, in such a big spot, give give a guy that much space to even have a chance when there are just so many things that they could have done to either A, prevent it, or B, make that a lot more of a difficult shot. Yeah, that the, the the main thing you want to do is make it as difficult as possible, and it seemed like they were giving him the freaking red carpet for that shot. I think the biggest thing, the last thing that I'll say about it, obviously, is what you have to continue to remember about the college game is these guys are kids, man. You know, I know it's different nowadays. You know, guys are basically being groomed from the age of twelve through AAU. Uh, you know private workouts and and guys have incredible skill but there's just something to say about the years it takes to really become a smart player and be able to adjust to the flow of the game and the situations faster than a coach having to tell you what's going on i mean these guys are still growing mentally and you see right there that's a mental lapse but you know For the sake of the Pac-12 and the state of Arizona, I hope Arizona can find some momentum going into the Pac-12 tournament. You know, maybe make it to the title game, maybe squeak it out, and then have some momentum going into the tournament. Because I think it's been a while since anybody has really represented in the Sweet 16 from Arizona. So I'd love to see them take uh, take it there. But at the end of the day, what a win for ASU. I think Ben was saying first win in about a decade in McHale Center in Tucson. Crazy. What a shot from Desmond Cambridge. One that we will be replaying in Arizona for years to come. I promise you that. But Chris, I think it's time for Reddit Reacts, so I'll pass it over to you. What do you got for us this week, man? Yeah, so, uh, shoot, I got to pull these up here. I am slacking. I will be very – I thought that you had these, Mike. (laughs) But I'll just talk. I'll just talk real quick while I'm getting this pulled up. Um, I did kind of want to branch out because, as we saw, that Mavericks and Suns game was a bit chippy, and so you knew you knew the memes would be a flow, and everyone would have something to say, and uh, and and it was not. It did not disappoint as far as what I was seeing in the Suns Reddit specifically. Our our friends over at the Suns Reddit, we love them very much. So we have this one I'll start with. Uh, it's a it's a Avengers meme, I believe it is. Uh, you see the Mavericks here on low key. We have the referees. Uh, and Tony Stark, we have a Kevin Durant. 
Oh, dude, it's always crazy to see one guy almost get the same amount of free throws as an entire team. I think Doncic had 19 and the Suns shot like 25. But that's part of his game, right? He creates uh, those opportunities. Uh, but sometimes I just I, – I don't understand – the, sh- the creation that he does is always dipping his shoulder and extending his arm. And I know the league is catered to your best players. They want them to have high-profile numbers so you can put it on ESPN, put it on you know, your national news and, and make it look like these guys are incredible and that kind of stuff. But Luka Doncic had one of his worst shooting outputs of the season, still scored 34 points because he went to the foul line so many times off of those freaking shoulder dips. That yeah. they were giving him. I mean, there was a crazy one on campaign where he freaking f- just completely fleshed him out with the left hand. You know, that last shot that he had as well. Is it a flop on Josh Akogi? I don't know. But when I only see the shoulder dip extend with the hand, what am I supposed to think after a time? That's just how it is to create space. What do you think about that, Chris? Am I crazy over here? Yeah, it almost seems like the the NBA might need to address this because it, it's not. I, I'll give Luca the benefit of the doubt. You do see other players doing that where they're swiping guys away with their with their offhand. But at what point is it, you know, having a guard hand versus an offensive foul? I think there's a difference between putting an arm up to kind of shield it from a guy versus literally swiping their hand away. There's a big difference, and it, it's just crazy to me. I don't want to. I don't want to talk too generically about Mavericks fans, but a lot of the the noise I was seeing on Twitter and Reddit, I know those are the the highest levels of uh, basketball commentary, but they the Mavs fans that are so critical of Devin Booker and want to call him all sorts of names, but not recognize or be objective and see that Luca is crying on every single play. And the one that had me dying was right before halftime when Chris Paul maybe grazed his elbow a little bit, but not before that signature push off of Luca to try and create space. And if you watch, it's insane. The ball is still in the air, hasn't even hit the basket yet. And he's jumping up and down like a freaking child, man. It's just, I do not like that guy one bit. I think the last thing I'll say about it is you could tell how fandom comes because the same things that we say about Luka Doncic is the same thing that they say about Devin Booker. He cries too much. He's looking for foul calls. Let's be honest. The NBA is about shot creation and a lot of guys utilize a little bit of leverage and a little bit of, of, you know, that maybe elbow or extension to create create shots i mean devin booker did it in that game i remember specifically there was one play where he was driving to the basket and he just gave him but if they're gonna give it to luca you gotta let it go both ways right and if you're gonna continue to give the push-offs like that was going on if he hits his arm on one play it's the balancing act right that's how referees work man i'm telling you it's like if you miss a call over here, oh, we might sneak one in over here to even the playing field for you guys. You know, that's just mm-hmm. the unwritten rules right. of, of officiating, to be honest with you. So there's no right way to call it, but I just think the aggressive extensions and the way that he consistently uses it within his game is just, it's not fun to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think that also comes with, the limitations that Luca does have as an athlete, 
right? He's not the fastest guy. He's not the tallest guy. He's not small and he's not crazy slow, but he has to utilize those kind of aspects to continue to give himself opportunity for scoring because mm-hmm. he's not going crazy dribble drives the same way that Devin Booker is. You know what I'm saying? Like guys are staying in front of him. So he has to find a way to get that open spot. But yeah, I like we said, man, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up matching up with them in like the first or second round again and i'm gonna freaking have a heart attack if we have to play them that early that would be that would be just our luck man i mean and just last thing i'll say also because then you got you got my blood boiling is to your point when you see one player having as many free throw attempts as the entire other team you just want to see it called both ways and i really don't want to watch a game where 50 plus free throws are being shot throughout the game it just slows it down so much makes it so hard to watch But we talk about Mavericks fans making noise online. This one is uh, one of their go-tos that they really, they really love is just the, the matchup we had um, with them last season. And it's, it's been fun because the Suns fans always fire back with, Oh, how are Luca's final stats? I can't seem to find uh, Luca's final stats anywhere. It's almost like he's never been to the finals. Uh, So you see, uh, I think this was from finding Nemo. Uh, It's like the, the mine, mine, mine. Bird says it game seven, game seven, game seven. It's all they got, man. It's all they got. So they can have it now. And uh, hopefully we can silence that, that hate this season. But honestly, I feel like they're just going to keep at it. Even if we do win. Wouldn't be surprised, but that's, you know, one of the best parts about professional sports and teams that genuinely just don't like each other. I mean, you know, after the press conference, Devin Booker was basically saying, you know, Hey, you know, a lot of guys in this league, they like each other. They think it's all kosher. Everything's good on and off the floor, but there's smoke here. He don't like them. Kevin Durant's not going to like them either, especially that Kyrie Irving is on that team. Like, we don't know the extent of the relationship that they really had, but, you know, they're opponents now. They're rivals, and this is going to be a fun one for years to come, and I think it's still going to be like that. Uh, whether Kyrie stays or goes, because Luka Doncic, uh, unfortunately for us, is one of the best players in the NBA, probably an eventual MVP as well. But, hey, stick with Game 7. We'll see what happens uh, this postseason. Exactly. They they can have it for now, but I'm worried more about what's going to happen in the future and not hanging my hat on anything that happened in the past. Um, so enough about that. I did kind of want to branch out, uh, to some, to some other, uh, subreddits for other teams around the league and to kind of keep it a little bit Suns related. I'll pull up this one here. Uh, this was on r slash go nets, which is the, uh, the Brooklyn nets subreddit. And they seem to have a very, uh, maybe different opinion than some Suns fans where, uh, you know, it seems like almost the trade was kind of like a win-win where this, this person's asking, they say for for anyone who might just be listening on the audio, it says, I really don't know what to say. I never pictured us coming close to winning any trade that involved getting rid of Kevin Durant, but it is, ha- but is it happening? Could it happen when you factor in age and Cam Johnson plus picks, it's starting to look more even than ever, which honestly is kind of what we were saying is like, it is a win-win Suns kind of gave up a lot, but when you get a guy like Kevin Durant, how could you not pull the trigger on that? And you see here since the trade, Bridges is averaging 26.1 points per game, 5.9 rebounds. Um, I don't know what those other numbers below mean off the top of my head. I'm guessing it's field goal, three-point, and free throw. 
yeah percentages yep and then on the other side kevin durant very similar 26.7 points per game 7.3 rebounds per game 69 percent field goal 54 percent three point 88 percent free throw 69 percent from the field i know it's just a three game sample size but that's wild dude but i mean dude that's the whole point about having conversations about sports you can think one team uh, might come out in the end when you can think one team might have gotten screwed uh, that's the point right we all have difference differences in opinions but the smart thing to do as a cognizant sports fan is to listen to them and then bring your take in it and not attack people right i mean on sun's reddit uh i, I saw somebody had posted just bad trade question mark question mark question mark Mikhail Cameron averaging combined 39 points in their first three games with the Nets. Did the Suns give up to too much for Durant? And the first comment is shut up. Like, <laughs> oh, have some discourse, bro. Like, that's the whole point about being sports fans and talking about the teams that we love. Because we all have different, different opinions at the end of the day. But don't right. be short-sighted. Don't be narrow-minded. Come on, Suns fans. Absolutely. You, and that's you, got, you know better than that. That's the thing. We're all on the same team, right? In, in theory, it's like, explain to me with a level head why I'm wrong. Don't just make it a personal attack calling me a neckbeard saying <laughs> I'm the dumbest person to ever walk on the planet. It's like, I, I I love and hate Suns Reddit so much. You guys can be awesome, bring some good information, some funny memes. But like Mike's pointing out, you can be so brutal with someone who's just asking a simple question. I mean, I think I told you my story of a few years back posting oh could uh, the Suns be uh, in the conversation to sign Giannis when he becomes a free agent and I got downvoted to oblivion just for asking a simple question I, I mean it's funny because they will answer your question but they'll also call you a dumbass while they're yeah, doing it of course <laughs> but it <laughs> but it's all love no no uh no hate for the for the Suns reddit or hey mods. we love y'all man keep keep it coming baby keep it coming 100 100 percent. so I got a couple more here uh, some fun ones. I was uh, snooping on the Memphis Grizzlies subreddit. So y'all probably know what this is going to be about. We got, uh, it is with great sadness that the nonsense counter has been reset. Here's to hoping tomorrow is a better day. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and it's, uh, was that John Morant and Dylan Brooks? Yeah. Because Brooks got suspended for getting his, I think, 16th, 16th technical of the season. Yep. Yep. And then John Morant, you all know uh, the shenanigans he's getting into. So poor Grizzlies fans, man. I honestly, like, I was looking for them to kind of, I don't know what I was looking for on, from them, to be honest, but just really sad vibe in their, in their Reddit right now. Oh, dude. I mean, we are definitely in a day and age where it takes people two minutes to put out a meme and some of them are just incredible. I think I saw, oh goodness, I saw a picture of John Morant's face photoshopped on the guy from Juice where they're at the pickup game. And he's like <laughs> pulling out. <laughs> like, it's just like, it, these people are just way too quick with it and just so witty, man. It's wild. I love it, man. But in regards to the Memphis Grizzlies, I really do hope that John Morant gets his stuff together and can be a really good professional role model for this league for years to come because, dude, he is a special talent. He His athleticism is unmatched in the NBA right now, I feel like. Uh, you know, he continues to grow his game. He's becoming a better shooter. He's becoming a better facilitator. 
And, you know, leadership on the court has to transfer off the court as well. So, you know, I, I'm not going to put all the blame on him. You know, I think you were talking about how Steven Adams had a, a players only meeting where they were like, hey, we need to cut out the shenanigans and look where that took them. But those are the kind of things that you need to do to hold your teammates accountable. And, and hopefully, you know, they find their way. So. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I have hope for Jaw. I mean, he has a lot of opportunity in front of him. He's still a young guy. Um, I know Jalen Rose was talking about being a young star, navigating fame, and I think he's going to land on his feet. I mean, when you got a guy like Stephen Adams and other mentors in the league, I'm sure guys are reaching out to offer offer some support. But he, he, I think he can get it together. I mean, he has his Nike deal for now. He has his Powerade deal that he just signed. And I have seen him do some good stuff on the court. I mean, I know a lot of these guys will give jerseys and shoes to the kids, but they don't have to is the point. And, and I've seen Jaw do that. So I got hope. It's, it's, we laugh. I love to, I love to poke fun, um, but really wishing him the best. And you're right. I think I was going to say back in the day, but it wasn't even that long ago. You used to have to use a computer program like Photoshop. And now you can just bust out Snapchat or any app on your phone and throw a guy's face on Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute here. And I love it, man. I absolutely love it. We have a pretty fun uh, Snapchat group chat where we love Photoshopping each other's faces onto ridiculous pictures. And yeah, if, if you guys got any, drop them in the you know, tweet them to us, DM them to us. You might make it on uh, an episode of PTO or the, the Heat Check Live. Yes, yeah, so send your memes. We love your memes, man. I include memes in our recaps all the time, man. It just makes it, you know, a cool little side thing to, you know, add within, you know, all the info that we're throwing at you and, and make you kind of chuckle every once in a while. So send them our way. Oh, yeah. Me memes make the world go around. Uh, I got one more Reddit reacts, but real quick shout out to our boy, Chevin Nooney. Kevin Durant is on the Suns and he's going to be in the Valley tomorrow. I am stoked. Mike is stoked. Chev, and I'm sure he's speaking for all Suns fans. But this last one, Mike, let's take a look again. I think this is from the Grizzly subreddit and uh, kind of what uh, Desmond Bain was looking at like tonight when he stepped out onto the court. <laughs> Oh, this is the Grizzlies during their next game. It's the meme of Will Smith standing in the empty house. I think it was maybe like the last episode of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or something like that. But yeah, Desmond Bain looking at his teammates and it's just an empty house. He's he's all he's the only man left standing. Hey, I mean, I guess the good thing for them is that they built a substantial lead for their standings. So if they do drop a couple of games, I think they're still pretty decently solidified within the second spot. Denver's starting to just run away with it now. I think they're up seven and a half games right now. But, hey, Desmond Bain, you, you still got Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, Trey Jones stepped in and had a huge game for John Morant the other night. You don't have to do it alone, man. But <laughs> I'm not surprised, man. I'm not surprised when your biggest asset is gone for who knows how long, you know. And we're still waiting to see what happens with the NBA investigation. Right. And like we were saying there at the top, he, he could be facing up to a 50 game suspension if if the investigation, you know, goes that direction. I I honestly hope for the league's sake that it doesn't go that way, because I feel like that would rob the Grizzlies of being competitive in the playoffs. Of course, you mentioned Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bame, Dylan Brooks. Those guys are still solid. Steven Adams is a good, solid center. I like that dude a lot. But just not having Ja Morant, I think, would be a disservice to, to NBA fans and, and just fans of the game. 
But Chris, oh man, we got I think we touched everything tonight, man. What Suns only have 17 games left. Yep. Uh, there's still some wiggle room in the West. Seeding is still, you know, going back and forth. I, I'd be surprised if the current four teams that are in the play-in are four or three different teams. Like that's just how it is right now in the West right now. Um, my goodness, March Madness is right around the corner. I'm sure we're going to dive into it next week and, and the week after. Keep tabs on it. Make sure that you keep your eye out for our bracket challenge as well. But Chris, I've always just always have an awesome time chopping it up, talking ball with you. I want to pass it over to you one more time before we leave and let the people know what's going on with you and uh, lead us on the way out. Yes, sir. I mean, hey, man, I love coming on here, talking basketball with you. It's always crazy. I'm like, how are we going to make a 60 minute live stream out of this? And here we are almost 75 minutes later. But March is primetime basketball season, man. I'm just really stoked for March Madness. Uh, already a ton of buzzer beaters here at the end of the college season. It seems like every day on my timeline, I'm seeing a new buzzer beater go in. And I expect more of that here in March. And like you said, the home stretch here for the Suns and some big games coming up. I want to see how they compete against the Bucks and the Warriors with this new look Suns team. And I, if things go the way they're, they're seeming, it's it's only, only up from here. Um, but Mike, Appreciate you, man. Uh, Big Cats 2-0. Uh, maybe we'll get some highlight tape out at the end of the season of, of what we were all about, something like that. We'll put a little cl clip package together for the people. So keep your eyes out, guys. But with that being said, this is Pass the Outlet, Episode 9. I'm your co-host, Michael Benjamin, joined as always by my wingman, Chris Patrick. Make sure you guys follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at AZ underscore VSP. Facebook at Valley Sports Plug here on youtube make sure you like and subscribe all of our podcasts go on to streaming services as well but we love y'all we appreciate y'all have a fun march madness and we'll see y'all next time peace